We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. Before we start, a little background. Uh, back a number of months ago, I had a guest on the program who suggested that MUFON had begun as a replacement for Project Blue Book. It was some kind of a nefarious setup where the government would be using MUFON as a cover for Blue Book to gather UFO reports. Well, I knew this was patently absurd because I've been around long enough that I was there sort of at the beginning of MUFON and know exactly how it began and what was going on. 
Walda Andrus, who was the first international director, had contacted Carl Lorenzen and wanted to coordinate the activities of the field investigators, the APRO, the Aerophenomena Research Organization's field investigators in the Midwest. Originally, it was the Midwest UFO network. And later on, it uh, evolved into an independent autonomous organization and became the Mutual UFO Network. So I'm, I'm aware of that, how that began. I had planned to get uh, Jan Harzon on the program to talk about the beginnings and the history of, of MUFON to kind of belie what this guy had claimed on the, uh, on the program because it simply wasn't true. I mean, the guy was way off base. Um, Jan had agreed to come on the program and then with everything that's gone on, he asked to postpone his involvement or his appearance until late May, early June. And I just never got around to getting back to him to set up the program. Instead, I got in contact with my friend, uh, Rob Zwiatek, to kind of do the same thing because Rob is a, uh, on the board of the directors of MUFON and was aware of these things as well. So I invited Rob on the program, so that's why he is here today. A little bit of background on Rob. He has a degree in physics and spent his career at the US, US Patent and Post Office, Post Office, US Patent and Trademark Office, working on intellectual properties in a number of areas, including aeronautics and astronautics. His UFO involvement goes back to 1968 during what he called his larval stage when the ongoing sightings and the University of Colorado's UFO study permanently nailed his attention. Once he arrived in Washington, D.C., he joined the Fund for UFO Research and was subsequently elected to the executive committee. Around 2006, as the fund wound down due to the rise of the Internet and other factors, he was asked to join MUFON's board of directors and continue to serve there today. Uh, he wanted to note that although the fund is still exists, it is largely dormant. And given the circumstances of the last 48 or 24 hours, actually, uh, this becomes even more important. For those of you who do not know, the executive director of MUFON, Jan Harzon, was arrested on July 3rd for solicitation of a minor. He had been engaged, I guess, in internet conversations with a girl he thought was 13, turned out to be a police officer. So when they met for the assignation, uh, Jan Harzon was arrested. That's sort of the gorilla in the room at this point. Uh, Rob and I are gonna have to talk about that because we really have no choice given the circumstances. Rob, unfortunately, welcome to the program today. <laughs> Hi, Kevin. Yes, I'm, I'm glad I'm on your show, and I, I do thank you for inviting me. So it's always a pleasure to be on your, your radio program. Well, I appreciate that. Even under these circumstances. Yeah, let's, let's get to it. I think you, you learned about it yesterday afternoon, as did I. Uh, what was your initial reaction? I was bowled over, to be honest with you. A num number of people I have subsequently spoken with told me that they could have been knocked over with a feather, and these are people on the board, and, uh, and a couple others. And I, that's, that's my feeling precisely. I could have, uh, I just sort of went dumb. You know, I couldn't, couldn't speak. A, a person called me up from outside of MUFON to tell me about this, a friend of mine, and I, I was speechless. My first reaction was it wasn't true. I'd gotten the, the word about it, and I began to check it out to make sure because a long ago, I got an a email or a, a note from Jim Mosley who told me Bill Moore was in jail. Bill Moore being William Moore from the Roswell incident. And I went through a great number of permutations to learn if that was true or not. Learned it's a different Bill Moore. It didn't matter. Yeah. In this case, it turns out it's the same guy. Yes, the same, yes the same person. And the, the Huntington Beach police report is unequivocal in, uh, in its picture and in its statement as to what's going on. Um, what is this? How, do, how does this affect MUFON? Well, it affects it an awful lot, Kevin. Um, Jan, is, I, Jan is no longer the executive director. Uh, he, he was removed. Let, let me just give the official statement that it took us hours to cobble up together last night on the phone. Let, let, me, just, me, inter let, let me interrupt right here to let, let, let people know that 
the the statement is up on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. So go ahead and give the statement. But for those who, who may have missed it, you can read the whole text of the statement on my blog. Right. It's very short. A statement from the board of directors. In light of recent events, Jan Harzan has been permanently removed as the executive director of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON. Effective immediately, he will no longer serve any role in the organization. Dave McDonald, executive director emeritus and a member of the MUFON board of directors, will now assume the duties of executive director. MUFON remains committed to its core mission, the study of UFOs for the benefit of humanity. This mission is greater than any one person or member of MUFON and supersedes all other considerations. We will continue to move forward and focus on our mission statement, uh, the MUFON Board of Directors. That's their official statement on what's happened. Well, let's take a step back here. Didn't Jan Harzan kind of alter the mission of, of MUFON as he took over as the executive director? In what way? Uh, well, it seemed the, the MUFON Journal, for example, became a much slicker publication that didn't delve into sightings, but kind of, I, I guess, put their finger on the flash and the sizzle as opposed to the in-depth research that was necessary, it would be necessary. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt the magazine changed. That doesn't mean the mission of MUFON has changed. And I can't be, I couldn't be more uh, emphatic on that point since every year since uh, 1969, MUFON's gotten hundreds of cases. We now get thousands of cases per year. And almost every one of those cases, Kevin, is investigated. So our core mission of uh, investigating UFOs and, and trying to figure out what's going on with the phenomenon, that hasn't changed. That continues to work. The magazine, yeah, sure, that's our showpiece. And, and that, that has changed over the years. Richard Hall used to be the editor of it. And sometimes it's had better issues than at other times, and it's all up to what, what a person likes. But no, our core mission has not changed uh, one iota. Well, I know there's been some, advers uh, some, some adverse publicity about MUFON in the, in the, the recent years. Um, I, I think of John Ventre, who made a racist rant on his Facebook page mm -hmm. that took... Uh, I think an extraordinarily long time for for uh, the MUFON leadership to react to. And there's been some other things like that going on. And I just wonder if that if this latest thing isn't suggestive that that sort of uh, problems persist in, in MUFON. Uh, no, it isn't. It isn't uh, an example or evidence of an endemic systemic. And I hate using that word because now we hear that all the time. There's no systemic problem with, uh, with, with either racism or sexism or sexual harassment in MUFON. It's, it's an organization that at this point consists of at least probably three or 400 people who are actively involved in either running MUFON or investigating sightings. And like any large organization, <laughs> there's a few people who go off the rails and do moronic things. Ventry was one of them. This a, a latest a state director lately put something up on his website and it was, it was swiftly taken down. That was one of them. Jan Harzan and his guilt or innocence now is, <laughs> we don't know. This has to play out in, in, in the courts and, and the man must be given due process, although it looks bad. It seems he made some extraordinarily wrong judgments. And again, it may be wrong, but it's not evidence of a... Uh, of any kind of a trend in MUFON, and, and I, can, I can tell you, and I don't know, know how I can be more emphatic, at least from my standpoint in MUFON, and I've been associated with MUFON events now since 1986, uh, I, I could, I, I'd put my hand on a Bible and say that I, I've never seen any organizational either racism or sexual harassment or sexism, call it what you want, in the organization. and. I, I can't be more firm on that standpoint. Well, let's let's break it off here. We'll come back in just a moment. I've got to put up some commercials to pay for the program mm -hmm. here. Um, I will have more about this on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I've got some things up there now for those who wish to look at it. Um, and I also want to thank those of you who have purchased the best of Project Blue Book, which is my latest book. It's been up and down on the Amazon bestseller list. 
if you've enjoyed the book, even if you haven't, uh, please put up a review because that helps kind of spread the word about what's going on in ufology and how some of the earlier investigations, including the official ones from the government, were botched or messed up, something like that. Anyway, I'll be back uh, right after this with Rob Zwiatek. We'll talk a little bit more about John, Jan Harzon and what's going on there and um, some other activities as well. So please stick around. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Mnemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Mnemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Exposé Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. Path Home Shamanic Art School has just launched a new online series of classes, Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow. In these classes, composed and taught by Path Home founder and director Gwilda Wiecka, you'll learn practical shamanic skills to support your daily life, such as how to build a medicine wheel to access the power of the earth, perform a shamanic journey, create sacred space in which to live and work, empower your life with totem animals, elementals, and fairy folk, and learn the art of accurately reading signs and omens. These tried and true skills are the key to living a powerful, productive life. Visit us at findyourpathhome.com to see the ever-growing collection of classes and leading-edge information to support you during these times of uncertainty and transition. All can be found at findyourpathhome.com. Joined by Rob Zwiatek, a member of the MUFON Board of Directors, we're discussing the um, situation from last night uh, with Jan Harzon and that sort of thing. And let me let me say this up front: um, I was I was horrified by this and very disappointed in it, and wondered how it would affect MUFON and that sort of thing. And I I noticed that. Um, and you said, uh, Rob, that David McDonald was the new international director as opposed to the executive director. Is there a change in the uh, organizational hierarchy in, in that respect, or is it just kind of semantics? It, it, it is semantics, uh, Kevin. It, it changed back around the time that uh, Clifford Clift 
was the last international director, and then Dave at that time took over for his first stint as executive director. But the duties and responsibilities are the same. Um, and I hate to bring this up, but I've seen this already on, on the internet. Yeah. And, and that is David McDonald, didn't he have an aviation company whose one of its activities was um, creating an opportunity for joining the Mile High Club? Yeah, he did. He did have an air, and he still does have a, a flight service. I don't know whether he still does that, but yeah, I can't, as the best of my knowledge, that occurred. Well, and I hate to put you on the spot because yeah. I know this really isn't your fault, but there have been some people that suggested that was a little bit tone deaf on the part of MUFON to bring in this guy who is organizing this activity among consenting adults or between consenting adults, mm -hmm. I probably should say. And given what has just transpired with Jan Herzon, and I and they're they're wondering about maybe that was somewhat tone deaf. Was was he the only opportunity, or was there a discussion of who would be the best replacement for Jan? Uh, well, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, th there was a there was a succession plan in in place, uh, to the extent that if there were an earthquake and California cracked off into the Pacific, what would happen with Mufon? And one of the things we discussed was having these, the operations switch back to Dave because the, uh, the, the, he, he had a complete computer software to take over the organization. Basically, at the press of a button in California, it would just transfer the, you know, the, the activities back to, to Cincinnati. Uh, and that's what we had decided might happen if, if such a situation ever arose. So I, I'm, I'm probably speaking a little bit out of... Uh, Probably I shouldn't be saying all these things, but but nonetheless, we we didn't have a uh, an overarching discussion for hours and hours and hours as to how the next who, who the next director would be because we knew Dave can take over at least for a temporary amount of time, a short temporary amount of time as the uh, executive director. I don't know how long he'll be there. Maybe it'll be years. Maybe it'll be months. I have literally no idea. So this is kind of a reaction to what happened yesterday. Exactly right. And because he had the capability of taking over with the push of a button, he was the logical choice. This was kind of a something that had been set up uh, in the eventuality it was needed. It's a yeah, it's a default, if you will. And uh, you know, Dave, Dave did a good job running Mufon the, the first time around, and. And he has a big operation going on right now for training flight dispatchers and everything like that. So it's not much of a problem for him to now assume the duties of, of MUFON on a on a day-to-day -day basis for some period of time. Would you suggest that his flight service that allowed for joining the Mile High Club is kind of a a um, red herring in, in, in one respect? It's really irrelevant to what's going on? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way of phrasing it. It's exactly right. It, it is irrelevant to what's going on. We've been over this ground uh, 10 years ago or so, whenever Dave took over the last time, and, and everybody chuckled over it and, and had their laugh over it. And Jim Mosley, a good friend of mine, and I, I remember Jim saying that same thing almost that you said to me back then about Dave. And uh, what can you do? It's, it, it's, it's something that, uh, that Dave did, and uh, I don't know whether it still occurs or not, but it has nothing to do with uh, the businessman side of him and his uh, skills in running an organization. Uh, what was the genesis of the inner circle? The inner circle, as I understand it, was just a designation for uh, donors who contributed, I think it was $5,000 or more to MUFON in a single year or in a single lump sum, or maybe it was aggregate, I don't know, but it was five grand or something like that. And everybody who did that was, Jan needed a name for those. He wanted to say, oh, here's all the people who donated X amount of dollars to MUFON. I'm going to call this, I will need a name for it. And he, he chose the name. This was not something that came up before the board. It, it was just something that was kind of almost below, you know, beneath the radar. And I don't even know if all board members knew what the inner circle was. And it was just a name for a class of don't, you know, donation givers. Did he solicit the donations from from these big givers? I mean, was he? Did he kind of invent the the, the inner circle and set up the criterion? 
he he probably set up the criterion for the the level of donations needed. He could have called it any any name, but the level of donations needed for uh, what he called the inner circle. I don't believe, to my knowledge, that he went out and uh, called these people up and said, "Hey, I need X amount of dollars. You can join the inner circle." I I'm almost positive that didn't occur, although I, I don't think I would have heard about that one way or another. But but I have no reason to believe that these were uh, people that Jan personally uh, called up and asked to contribute. Well, the reason the reason I asked this, I, he I hesitate to put this on your shoulders because I know yeah. that, that you're, you're putting a lot on my shoulders here today. But go ahead. You're, you're sort I of an wait, so I can take it. It's sort of an innocent in this, but a number <laughs> of mem members of the inner circle were caught in kind of racist attitudes in in the past. I noticed the names have been changed and the, the, those people have dropped out. Um, but I think that would suggest to some people, maybe, that there was a kind of a problem at the very top of MUFON with um, some of these racial and sexual attitudes. Well, I mean, I, I don't know what, what what caused these people to give money to MUFON. I just assume they decided they liked the subject and they contributed. Most of these people were wealthy. What do they care that they get some stupid appellation placed upon them for giving so much money? Uh, when I first heard the names of some of these folks, and I think one of them was named Jay-Z Knight or something like that, I had no idea in hell who that person was. And some of the other people were already sort of have given to MUFON for years, and I think in one or two instances were members of the board. But I, I have no idea why people who had alleged racist connections or attitudes or whatever were, were on that list, none whatsoever. I mean, that, that is something you would literally have to ask Jan, and I don't know what he'd say. Hey, you know, who knows? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I, I just don't have any idea on those names. People give to any organization, National Geographic Society, the Red Cross, the Cancer Society, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, whatever. Who knows what their backgrounds are, right? And uh, some of them might be murderers. And you, you don't know it until, it, in this case, some of it came out. Well, I, I, I noticed when um, this all erupted with uh, John Ventre. Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago that there seemed to be a bit of a problem, but I don't know if it, and I, and I hate the term too, systemic, throughout mm -hmm. the organization. I just wondered about some of these connections um, and and uh, were worried about where that may be, might be going. And I, and I wondered if Jan Herzon's attitude wasn't more as a businessman building an organization as opposed to a ufologist engaged in scientific research? Uh, I don't know how to answer that or, or how, to, how to respond to that. Uh, I, I, at the time, the Ventry thing came up, when, when the board found out about it, they, they were pretty adamant about removing the guy from the organization. I, I mean, within minutes of them hearing about that. And uh, Jan said he had dealt with the problem and everybody uh, assumed that he was gone. And... Maybe he wasn't at that time, but I, I can say that when, when the issue erupted, e even another time when it was still, still thought that John was either directing conferences or still somehow part of MUFON, people were kind of irate and uh, get, get that guy out of here, you know, type of an attitude. And let's, let's, make, let's make one thing clear, which I think is important. The MUFON board of directors don't sit in one room together. Uh, I mean, you're not located all together in one area. You're scattered throughout the United States, correct? That is correct. And so but, that when these sorts of things erupt, it's difficult to get everybody together to talk about it, other than conference calling and that sort of thing. That, that's what it was. E either, e either a conference call or less frequently on important issues, email. We meet maybe... We try to meet three times a year in person, one at the MUFON Symposium and another time in maybe in May. Yeah, it probably ends up being two times a year, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. And just then have conference calls for the rest of the uh, the meetings, the three or four or five or six that occur throughout the year. They don't occur frequently. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's stop there for the moment. 
And when we come back, we'll uh, explore this a little bit more in depth and maybe talk about uh, it, will there be a MUFON symposium this year and some of the research activities and move away a little bit from Jan Herzon and his problems. Uh, I also wanted to mention there are some other fine programs about the paranormal on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, XZBN, or as my friends in Canada would say, XZBN.net. Um, go to the X-Zone website, you'll find a listing of what programs are available, and I'm sure they'll find some that'll spark your interest. I will return momentarily with Rob Zwiatek. We'll take a little bit more look at uh, MUFON organization and where things like that are going, and I'll have more on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. So please stick around. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you considering calling a psychic to read your situation? Then consider David Champion, a psychic medium for more than 20 years with thousands of readings under his belt. David Champion will make you feel comfortable. He has proven to be honest and accurate. He's a straight shooter. There's no guesswork. What he sees is what you get. While he is a medium, most of the calls focus on relationships, not only love, but work, school, neighbors, and more. Need help with finding a job and preparing for the interview? Are you dealing with people who are obstacles in your path? For more information, go to davidchampion.com, $1.50 per minute, paid by credit card, with a minimum of 30 minutes. For your reading with David Champion, call one 702 8598 That's one 702 8598 Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life is no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. As is going on throughout the world at the moment, we are all social distancing properly. I am nowhere near Rob Zwiatek, so we don't have to worry about those sort of things. We're talking about the uh, Jan Harzan problem with MUFON. Uh, that basically came up 24 hours ago. And uh, uh, I, I can understand uh, Rob Zwiatek's problems here in, in addressing some of this because we, there are things we just do not know. Uh, you, he, of course, would have more information than I do about what, what's going on and how to react to this. I mean, this is something that happened. I think I learned about it... Uh, 
22 hours ago, and and we're we're discussing it now. And MUFON seems to have taken at least the uh, first proper step. And and I hesitate to say this again because I certainly do not want to get the uh, impression that I'm trying to make an alibi for an alleged child predator. But all we have right now are the allegations. There's been uh, he's been arrested. But what happens if it turns out that he's innocent? Does he come back to MUFON or is he gone forever? I guess that would be the first question. What What's fair in that, that circumstance? Well, I, I, I would... He's not coming back to MUFON. Okay. I mean, I, I don't see any conditions under which this would happen. And, and gathering from... And again here, I'm... If I'm not with the board tomorrow, it will be because of this show, Kevin. Um, <laughs> I, I, I honestly have to say people were, I, I, again, disappointed almost to the point of tears and, 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 and angry that uh, this occurred. And I don't see any, any way for Jan Harzan to ever retrace his, his footsteps here and get back into MUFON. Sure, he can pay the money and get the journal. Anybody can do that. But he, he, he's not going to have a position in MUFON. That's all there is to it. He, even if in some way he, it turns out he's, he's innocent, uh, maybe, maybe if he were com- somehow exonerated so completely that it was clear to everybody uh, who heard her, her, you know, the story of his exoneration that, oh, this, this man is this complete innocent and, and he wrapped up in a, in a nefarious, bad situation. He's completely innocent. He, he, he might be allowed back in, as, but he's not going to be executive director. That's just not going to happen. It's, 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 the, the tide has now moved past him. And, and that's, that's all there is to it. It's, it's, not, it's not going back. Well, I, I have to say, and I, and I I'm, don't want to be accused of defending the man. I don't know the circumstances. I had communication with some friends who are in law enforcement and and uh, this sort of thing, suggesting that the re- uh, there would be no arrest if they didn't have the goods on him. I'm always a little leery about that sort of thing. Yeah. Too. The Same idea there. that because he's been arrested, he therefore must be guilty. Well, mm-hmm. that's not quite right, but you would hope in a situation like that they wouldn't they would not step in unless they had the goods on him. Uh, but I just needed to raise that possibility because I think it's something we should think about. We're turning a man's life completely upside down. Does he deserve it? If he did what has been a, a, he's accused of doing, yes, he certainly deserves it. If he's innocent, then how do we fix that situation? Um, and, and again, this is no way suggesting that that um, we're we're defending. I'm defending child predators or anything like that. It's just a question of looking at the situation in a way. The um, looking at the, the the situation, the way things have played out in the past, where you made a statement twelve years ago, fifteen years ago and the mob comes after you in what's called the cancel culture. Here in Iowa, we had a guy who uh, held up a sign on ESPN asking for beer money and gave his uh, a, a, con- a way to contribute. And it ended. he ended up getting $3 million, yeah. uh, and he donated it to the Children's Hospital, which was a magna- magnanimous thing for him to do. But a reporter went back and found that when the guy was a teenager, he made some comments that, were, that could be considered racist. And so Anheuser-Busch backed off from some of the things they were going to do and that sort of thing. And, and that really wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a situation that's ongoing. It's something that's happening today. It's not something he did as a... I mean, I, I suppose we could all say, yes, we de- need, uh, we all uh, dated teenagers, but we were also teenagers at the time we were doing it. So it wasn't, it wasn't uh, bad. Um, but but this is I'm I'm just I guess I'm flummoxed as well about about this sort of thing, um, and I, I, I want to I guess sort of suggest caution in our reactions, but I don't see any way to be cautious. 
Yeah, the, the Huntington police statement is is devastating. You have to deal with it. Yes, it's 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 in your face as a series of seeming facts. And I, I, again, let's give them that you are doing that, and and I and I'm doing it as well. Let's let's give them due process and see how it what what, what transpires on down the line. It, it's going to take a while for the gears of justice to turn here and and and, and work, but uh, eventually we're going to have a resolution one way or another on this. And and we'll see. If it, yeah, if if he's completely exonerated, well, I mean, I, I hope somehow he is. I I, I, I sincerely do. I, I hope he's innocent, and this is all just some horrendous mistake. Uh, yeah, but I don't see how it yeah, is. No, I, it's it, it's just hard to get around that huge block that that, that comprises that 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 report. Um. But I guess I guess with with McDonald coming in with his background, with his aerial service, and, and this it, it just sort of suggests there's some kind of sexual problem at the top of Mufon. Is I mean that's certainly not a fair statement, is it? No, I I wouldn't think that it is. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, if if nobody it, I, again I. It's hard to speak about Jan now, but but if he was leading a secret life, if he were leading a secret life, none of us knew about it. And if anybody else on the board is leading a secret life in some way, I sure as hell don't know about it. And I don't think the others do either, except maybe the person involved. And I don't think there is anybody. But nonetheless, who knows what 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 your neighbor is is doing, right? Or your friends in in their in the privacy of their homes, or when you're not with them. It always shocks you sometimes. Uh, yeah, I was I was just flabbergasted when I heard the news, and just couldn't believe it. Um, so I guess uh, the thing is, um, will Mufon survive this? Mufon's been through tough times before, Kevin, and they, they've been different circumstances than this. Like right after nine eleven, they, they were pretty bad. And right after uh, our involvement with Bigelow, back in 2009 to 2010, we had enormous problems when James Carrion left and Clifford Cliff took over. The organization almost went bankrupt. The times were very, very difficult then, and we came back. And I, I, I don't see why we, we, we can't continue to, uh, to persevere here and exist as an organization. And, and I know at least the board is all going to be working hard to, to make this happen. And sightings are coming in. and, and People are still working on cases, so there really isn't any reason, like I've uh, restated, there really isn't any reason to think that there's some pervasive problem here that's running through MUFON and that uh, the only way to, uh, to, to, to change this is, is, is to cause the organization to go bankrupt or, or to do away with the organization. Now, we had people in, let's say, CNN or some of the other networks here We've all heard of these sexual harassment cases of the last few years. Is there a, a systemic problem with racism at CNN among some of the anchors and some of the reporters? I don't think so. Some of them were fired and let go, however, for that. Does that mean the whole organization gets tossed out into the cold or dumped into the water? No, it doesn't. And it's, it's the same with this organization, with MUFON. There's, unbeknownst to us, apparently, some... Sometimes they are really bad eggs, and some that might be, and uh, they rise up and they cause you problems, and you just have to deal with them. But to throw the baby out with the bathwater here, I think, would be, uh, would be hurting the, the investigation of the UFO phenomenon. Well, let's do this. Let's, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about the investigations and what's going on in that respect. Um, I'm not sure what more we could say about John Harzan. And, and his activities, but um, you know, do you really blame the organization for the action of an individual, even if the individual is at the very top of the organization, and it doesn't seem to be a situation that is, again, I hate the word systemic in, in the mm -hmm. organization, um, because there really is, there isn't any suggestion of that. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about that. And I wanted to just say, going off topic completely here, is I have done a book called Conversations, which deals with 
or began dealing with alien abduction and took a different turn. And I think it's a nice little book, and I do not understand why more people haven't taken a look at it. It's available at Amazon.com. And um, it began as an abduction research, but took off in a different direction. So if you're kind of interested in that and see where it wants to go, take a look at conversations. Um, and I certainly would appreciate that. When we come back, as I said, we will deal with, um, in, the, in the few minutes we have left, we'll deal with the investigations and what the statistics seem to suggest about the UFO situation in the uh, in the United States and the world today. So if you're interested in that, stick around and we will be back right after this. Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. What happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Ancients knew what we have forgotten. In order to be empowered by nature, one must be aligned with the way life works. We've become increasingly disconnected from the earth and her cycles to our extreme detriment. The medicine wheel ceremony is an ancient rite practiced by shaman worldwide to recalibrate their people with the powers of the universe. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, at the Galactic Shamanism Retreat this spring equinox, March 18th through the 22nd, in the beautiful Colorado mountains. During this life-changing three-day medicine wheel training, you'll learn to build and maintain your own cross-cultural shamanic medicine wheel to promote manifestation, health, and personal power. Empower yourself with the wisdom of the ancients. Contact Touch In at findyourpathhome.com or call 303-775-3431. with Robert Zwiatek, a member of the MUFON Board of Directors. I think we might have beaten the uh, problem, the new problem with MUFON into the ground here. I'm not sure what else we could say about it. Um, I think MUFON moved rapidly to, to uh, deal with the situation as best they could given the information they had. And I'm not sure what more they could do at this moment. But when we were planning this program several weeks ago, several days ago, you'd sent me uh, some statistics about 
um, the numbers of UFO sightings that are going on uh, are being reported to move on and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I prepared these about uh, a, few, yeah, a few days ago, Kevin, before the Mosler safe fell down on top of all of us. But the, the, the genesis of this was I, I wondered near the beginning of this year wh whether there would be a jump or a decrease in UFO cases as this COVID crisis began to unwind. Like how were how, how many cases were we getting before COVID really made its impact on America and how many cases during the main impact of it up, up to the present day? And I, I and then compared with the year previously, and I found that s some of the numbers were rather amazing. And I won't you know, bore all your listeners with these because because they are numbers and statistics and they don't tell us too much about the phenomenon. Let me but let me give you an example. For example, in March of 2019, MUFON received uh, 265 cases that were of events that occurred that that month, March of 2019, 265. In 2020, March 2020, 537. In February 2020, MUFON got 282. So the cases almost doubled in one month. In April of 2020, 640 cases compared with 264 of a year earlier. And in May, it dropped down again. In, we had uh, 354 cases in May of this year. And the same the same curve occurs with uh, Peter Davensport's uh, National UFO Reporting Center. He showed the same bulge in cases in March and, uh, and April, and then another drop off in May. Well, that seems counterintuitive to me because I know when they've studied the, the number of sightings and what the time of day and all of that sort of thing, it always was suggestive of is when people were outside. Uh, most of the sightings take place in the evening. Most of the sightings take place in the summertime because that's um, when people are outside and have an opportunity to look at the sky. Now we're all kind of locked into our houses. It, it just seems that you wouldn't be getting as many UFO reports as uh, you did in the past. Exactly. It, it, it is paradoxical. And uh, you can say, well, some of those people who were home, forced to work at home, either online or they didn't have a job or whatever, spent more time outside either exercising or walking or taking the dog out or driving or whatever, and they, they, they saw these sightings, I tried to correlate, I tried to correlate these sightings with uh, the launches of the Starlink satellites because they've been occurring uh, constantly throughout this year. I think as of, uh, let's see, as of June, there have already been uh, six launches of Starlink satellites or seven launches this year. But I didn't find any really good, good link with those uh, because... They, they confuse a lot of people. They, they present a very odd appearance to begin with, a, a line of lights a, 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 like, a, like a, a necklace stretched horizontally. But yet uh, some Starlinks were launched in January and, and uh, in February, and yet the sightings didn't go up. So hundreds of sightings were not caused by Starlink, apparently. Uh, yeah, and yeah. there were fewer airplanes flying. You know, the airlines weren't as flying. So how many IFOs airplanes normally cause? They were not in there. Well, one of the things I noticed on the statistics is there seemed to be a large number of unidentifieds. And I know the Air Force, the Air Force, of course, said there were 3% or 7% unidentifieds in their research. And I always thought that was a low number simply because they were, they were assigning explanations to sightings that were ridiculous. And they had a category called insufficient data for scientific analysis, which means the sighting wasn't identified, but um, they didn't have to put it into an unidentified category. And I, mm -hmm. I just was kind of curious about um, the large number of unidentified in the MUFON um, statistics you sent. Uh, do, do you, can you account for that at all? I, I, you... Yeah, I can, I, I can account for them for a, for a while, yeah. They, they hover in the 20s usually. And, and lately, they went down a little bit. And, and organizationally, the the new international uh, the chief investigator tried to. Uh, he he also was thinking. Hmm. I wonder why. You know, the the unidentifieds are kind of high. Whatever. So that investigators are now asked to be almost ninety percent sure that something can be uh, classed as an unknown before before classifying it as an unknown. If, if you have, if you, if, if you think there might be a more significant amount of doubt about your sighting, something less than 90, um, you know, may, maybe you're only, you, you might've thought before, 
oh, I'm 60% sure it's an unidentified object. I couldn't find anything uh, which correlates with this sighting, a prosaic item. I'm 60% sure there's a certain amount of uncertainty there. They might put it in the unknowns. Now they're being asked to put it in the knowns. We want, we're asking for a little bit higher standard, at least subjectively, of, as to uh, how you feel about the sighting. If you feel that a sighting is, eh, it's probably, probably could be explained, I'm 80% sure it could be explained, then let's call it an, unexpl let's call it an unexplained sighting. And they're, they're just hoping that a little bit of a shift in a mindset here is going to uh, help with the, uh, uh, the classification of sightings. Uh, a, a, lot of pe a lot of investigators were refraining from making an explanation, too. They might say, well, it could go either way. I'm going to say insufficient evidence, sort of like you were alluding to. And we want to cut down on that kind of stuff. We want well, me, clear, let, clear decisions let, made. And so it dropped off a little bit lately. Let, let me break in here and ask you. How many of these sightings are single witness? And do we gather a time for the length of the sighting? Meaning, is there a correlation between a, a fleeting sighting of a second or two being unidentified and a, a sighting that is in, that may last a minute or 10 minutes? Uh, is there some kind of correlations there? Well, I don't know. Nobody's gone through. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where we could have people cruising through these statistics. I can't give you that. Uh, I have seen unknown sightings of one or two seconds in, in the files, and obviously you've seen them longer than that. But uh, I can't tell you, for example, how many of the unknowns were 10 seconds or less, how many of the unknowns were a minute or more, you know, that type of thing. Uh, there is where we could use people going through data and doing some data crunching on this kind of stuff. Nor do, do I have the figures at my fingertips for uh, how many of these sightings, the unknowns, for example, were a multi-witness as opposed to a single witness. Alan Hynek called the single witness case Donna case, but I still think there's some mighty good single witness cases. But that that could be pulled out of the could could be pulled out of the data. I well, these sort of these were sort of things that crossed my mind, and I know and I hesitate to bring this up. Donald Menzel, uh, in criticizing the Air Force form, mm -hmm. said there was no question on it, asking if a person wore glasses, and if he or she was wearing his or her glasses at the time of the sighting, which I think is pretty relevant. And the other thing that I think is relevant is as I age, I, I've learned about uh, yeah. um, these floaters that you see in your eyes, black spots that, that, that slide across your eyes that are internal to the eye. And the age of the, that, that means the age of the witness is also a critical thing to mm -hmm. examine before you, and I, and I haven't seen a lot of that in UFO investigation. Do you wear glasses? Were you wearing your glasses and, and gathering an age to see if there might be some kind of eye problem that helped generate the sighting? Well, I, I agree with you. I don't think that's necessarily asked by every examiner and every case, every investigator in every case by any means. And it probably should be. Uh, so yeah, we could probably r rule out some 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 of these sightings as as the unknowns would then switch into the knowns, like like every uh, like all good cases, and 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 if you're a pretty good investigator and have studied the field long enough, you set mental criteria for yourself as to what you might consider a good sighting. A simple light in the sky, just at least to me, is not a good sighting, and and I, I want something that's going to have a large angular size to to to, to take up a substantial duration of time. 20 seconds or more, for example, be located very close to a witness. And those are the kind of cases I like to consider as uh, indicative of a true unknown phenomenon here. Then I can rule out eye floaters and I can rule out, uh, you know, some of these little, uh, was he wearing his glasses or not? Well, the object was right over the house across the street and I'm farsighted and it was 30 feet away over the house. I could see it perfectly. You know, I wasn't wearing my glasses. Uh, it, it tends to diminish the effect of those kind of uh, variables on, on, on the explanation of the sighting. Well, I have often thought that a light in the night sky is useless information to gather because we have literally hundreds and hundreds, thousands of those oh. sightings, and they don't add anything to our knowledge. We need something more than just, well, I saw this light in the sky uh, for a short period of time. Uh, yeah, Rob? Absolutely. Uh, we're out of time here. I thank you for... I guess taking the brunt of my questions uh, about um, MUFON and what's going to happen in the in the future, I hope it wasn't too rough. Uh, well, Kevin, those 
those questions have to be asked, and they, they were all fair questions. I, I'm, I would never say that you asked or hit below the belt or anything like that. So uh, I, I, was, I, I hope I was able to at least answer some of them. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you much, Rob. I appreciate you taking the time here. It's uh, Rob Zwiatek. He's a member of the board of directors for the um, Mutual UFO Network. Next week, I'm going to be chatting with John Greenwald. We're going to talk about the um, Eric Davis, Admiral Wilson information, and we're going to uh, talk a little bit about ATIP and where the Navy investigation is going. We get a good handle on that. Uh, coming up in the future, we'll have uh, additional guests talking about You're listening to a different perspective on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. Please keep listening to XZBN.net and to a different perspective. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>